All right, Micah, thanks so much. By the way, you have on your hands a, a Greek scholar right here. Micah, just outstanding Greek scholar. Uh, it's so good to be with you. What a gr- This is like amazing. When he said men's breakfast, I kind of f- pictured like, you know, 20 dudes huddling around a breakfast burrito. And this is like incredible. So uh, what an honor to be here. I'm actually so excited to be here um, that this morning at 6 a.m. as I'm, I'm pulling out of my driveway, I have my coffee and I'm all excited. I'm like, I'm going to get to South Shores. And my coffee spills. I grab it. And then all of a sudden I hear crunch. I backed into my neighbor's car. So yeah, that's, so if any of you know like a good body shop or have access to a time machine, uh, I would really appreciate it. Let me grab my Bible here. Um, but in all, that was just more of a group therapy moment. I just wanted to share that. And we're all here together. We're all as men. Um, but in all seriousness, I'm, I'm so excited to be with you this morning. And I come to you as a yeah, follower of Jesus and um, sort of my, my academic training and my pastoral life. Uh, it, it all sort of works together in, it, in, it, in a weird tapestry. And so I, am, I have two parts of my brain. I'm trained sort of as a Roman historian and as an early uh, Christianity slash New Testament person. And so my, my PhD is in both of those areas. And so this morning, um, as, as I was talking to Micah about what we could possibly, or, or as he was sharing what y'all have been in, which is 1 Corinthians 16, I'm like, oh, I know what I want to talk about, uh, which is um, I want to talk about honorable leadership in Roman Philippi and Corinth. It looks really terribly boring, but it is, but I like it, so I'll have a good time. Um, but I want to start with some prayer and then um, read the, the, you can move to the next slide where it has um, 1 Corinthians, the passage that you've been marinating in uh, this whole, I guess, year or season. So let me pray. Lord, thanks for this time. Thank you that you make all things new, Lord, including my neighbor's bumper. And I pray, God, that you would just, as we are together for a little bit of time, um, give us fresh eyes to see the model, the example, the leadership that you modeled for us so that we might uh, be better, uh, not, not better, we, we, might, we might be more fully reflecting your um, your leadership in our lives and in the communities around us. In the name of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, uh, we pray amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, here's the passage that you have been in 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. Um, and, and you've had speakers, uh, from what I understand, talk about this at length, but maybe not the second part of the passage. So it goes like this, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. You know that the household, oh, so, so that passage you've heard, you've thought about, do everything in love, great. This next piece, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people, submit to such people, and to everyone who joins in the work and, the la- and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus Fortunatus and um, Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. Such men deserve recognition. This is a pattern that you're going to see Paul of Tarsus, the dude who wrote this letter, one of the great apostles of early Christianity. He does this all the time. He's going to give an instruction. He's going to give some sort of a, a, a teaching, an idea, a moral, uh, and then he's going to roll out people. 
He's going to name names and say, like this person, or like that person. And this is like a standard Pauline um, practice. And so what I would like to talk about today, you could go to the next one. Let's talk about leadership today. I feel like we're with a bunch of dudes. We're men in here, right? Like, I have a mustache, right? This is like legit man stuff. And we're going to talk about what I think is probably the, on the tip of most of our minds, those of us that are, that are men uh, at whatever stage of life you're in, whether it's in grade school, junior high, high school, college, or you're an empty nester and everything in between is leadership. How do we lead? And what I want to do with our, our time today is uh, as best we can, I want you to think feel, even smell like the ancient Romans. I want, I want you to have such a picture in your mind of what would come to their minds if I said, be a leader, be an honorable leader. What exactly would that mean? I want you to get that picture solid in your heart, souls, minds, and then we're going to look and see what does Paul do with that expectation. Okay, so that's what, that's what this morning's all about. Uh, so it's going to be one part um, diving into the pond of the Mediterranean and one part uh, resurfacing and saying what is going on with these early Christians and, and then hopefully coming full circle to say how then should we live? How should we think of um, these kinds of examples like Stephanus and Achaicus and Fortunatus and others? So we're going to be in... Um, I started in 1 Corinthians. We're going to spend most of our time in another Roman veterans colony, Philippi. Okay, Corinth was a Roman colony as well. We're going to be in Philippi and uh, a letter from Paul to that church. And then if we have time, if not, no big deal, uh, we'll circle back to 1 Corinthians. So let's talk about leadership. Uh, and I'll have a discussion question for you at your table. Okay, a little discussion question. Very small, very easy, nothing complicated. You can go to the next, next one. So here's a discussion question, and you can click again. That's Dana Point Harbor right there. My grandpa lives right, in, uh, right by the Salt Creek Grill. Anyone go there? Delicious? Wonderful? Yeah. All right, so the discussion question is this. I'll just read it to you. Um, the discussion question is, what motivates you? What motivates you to get up in the morning, to work the way you work, behave the way you behave? And there are some animations on the slide, so you might have to click again to get it to pop up. Let's see. Well, never mind. I'll just tell it. So what, what, why did you wake up? What gets you waking up? What gets you uh, motivated in the morning? Okay, so talk about that around your table. What is it that gets you to get up in the morning? It's a great way of finding out what drives you. So go ahead and discuss. And you don't have to be super churchy with your answer. You the Lord Jesus. Well, maybe. But what else gets you going? Maybe that, maybe other things. All right, 30 more seconds, 30 more seconds. All right, 10 seconds. 
five, four, three, two, and one. All right, so I just want to hear from some tables, any brave sharers. You can either share yours or what you heard. What were some of the things that motivate you? Yeah, what motivates you? Yeah, you got it. Breakfast. I think you have like a, a good consensus here. All right, in the back, what, what motivates you? Family. Okay, you wake up and you're thinking, I got family. All right, how many, how many out there have something like that? It's definitely a motivator. Yeah, family. Sometimes that family is waking you up. I have three kids and a new little little foster baby, and we are, boy, we are up. That family has us up. What else? What else? What are some other items that motivate? Yes, please. Golf. Golf. Okay. <laughs> All right. Get up and get going. Get on that course. Beautiful. What, any other thoughts? What gets you going in the morning? Yeah. What's that? The dog needs to go outside. Take care of the dog. Yeah, these are good. These are great reasons. <laughs> I love it. Go ahead. Belt it out. Just yell it out. The bathroom. <laughs> Biological needs. Oh, I love it. It's so good. And this question, what's so fun about it is it, and it's a good discussion question around a table anytime, but it gets at, you know, if you're really going to what's really, really, really getting me up, you know, and obviously there's biological and other things, but it gets down to some of the things that drive you as a human being, what moves us. And so if we step even broader than that, we're asking what we call a cultural question. You could ask of a large people group, right, what drives this culture? So if I asked you what drives the culture in, you know, San Juan Capistrano or Dana Point, what is the thing that drives most people on average? You might have different answers or Southern California or the U.S. or whatever. Uh, another way of getting at core values, the next slide you can go to, uh, how would you fill in this question? You can keep clicking. To, yeah, they're perfect. Um, how would you fill in this question? By nature, we yearn and hunger for blank. What do we yearn as, as, a, as a people? Okay, let's say in the modern West or Southern California. We yearn and hunger for blank. And once we have glimpsed, as it were, some part of its radiance, there is nothing we are not prepared to bear and suffer in order to secure it. Now, this is a quote. I've taken one piece out uh, from an, a, a very famous ancient Roman statesman, a guy named Cicero, and it represents, his answer to this represents, I think, what would be the broad consensus among people living in Philippi, people living in Corinth, people living where the letters of Paul have arrived. Okay, what, how would we answer that if you think and ask about our broader culture, what is it that we yearn for and hunger for? What drives us? And when we see it, we will sacrifice everything to get to that thing. In general, a um, couple more pieces, uh, building lesson, go to the next slide. When we think about uh, central value systems, in the modern West, typically what drives us, most people, um, it, at least as a preoccupation culturally, is, is typically financial. We, think we are much more of an economic society. We think, think about election cycles, right? We think about what really, if, if our economy dropped by 25%, we'd be in serious trouble, but you gotta know people are voting differently. It wouldn't matter who's in office or who's, who's done what for who. The question is, if we are suffering financially, we're gonna make some decisions. And this drives a lot of people in terms of where we move, where we go, what jobs we take. Right? We are often thinking financially, and especially maybe as dudes, right? Guys in the room, we're, we're often thinking financially. You know, on that first date, and you're kind of thinking, I hope she does not order this item, right? You're, you're still thinking financially, even though you really want to impress uh, this lady. So we typically are driven, and uh, so you can keep clicking. Um, 
Indeed, in the ancient Mediterranean world, what typically drove them, what typically drove them uh, was not going to be financial. They knew about money. Money was important. But actually, money would be cashed in for something else if they could get it. And that would be, here's how they would fill in this question right here. By nature, we yearn and hunger for, click that again. I'll just tell you, honor. Honor. Everyone say honor. Honor. Let's have a good Pentecostal meeting here. Honor. There, look at, look at that. There we go. So this is, um, if I would define honor. Many of us know when we talk about honor, maybe in the church circles or maybe growing up, uh, you had a grandfather or, or a father that talked to you about honor. What is it to be an honorable person? But in our society today, right, like honor, we, we, we have maybe less and less honor than we've ever had. Um, and we really don't think too, too much about it. But one area of your life you might remember feeling the need for honor. Think about, real quickly, some of you, you're there right now, but junior high school. Anyone think about junior high school? Go back there. Some of you, it's a, you know, a little bit of a tra- travel back. Some of you, you're right there. It's like, oh my goodness. Think about coolness, coolness in junior high. Okay, you wanted it. You knew who had it. It was an operating value in the classroom at lunch. It determined where you could sit, who you could sit with, what you could say. It haunted you or it made your day. And if you were the rich kid, that did not always translate or sometimes it would work against you in the coolness category. Now, coolness, it's a cultural capital. It's a thing that you would desire and want. And if you were rich and didn't have coolness as a junior higher, you would say, I would trade in my money to, have, to walk onto campus and be the big man on campus. Boy, I would want that. Now, that is the best cultural connection I could think of in a non-honor-shame society, which we're not typically an honor-shame society. There are today in the world many honor-and-shame societies. We're not one of them. But at that point in life, we're all kind of operating there. That is the best way to think about what honor is. And for the Romans and the ancient Mediterraneans, Anyone that became followers of Jesus in that world, honor was the Mediterranean melody. It was the driving heartbeat of that society. And so if you had all kinds of money, but you were not seen as an honorable person, you did not have public recognition of your value, you didn't have the coolness, you were not succeeding in life. Okay, so these these are important terms um, to think about. And when we ask the question, how do you then get honor? I'm just laying this foundation so we can have a real thick, wonderful understanding of the people hearing Paul's letters for the first time. How do we get honor? Go ahead and skip to the next, um, the next slide. There are a number of ways. This one, that was in Greek. It's kind of messed up. But, but um, arete. And you can go to the next. Uh, keep clicking. Oh, actually, go back. For some reason, the animations aren't coming through. I'll just describe it to you. So Arate, anyone read the Iliad before the Iliad? Great epic. Okay, if this was Roman Corinth, and I, I was at a men's breakfast there, and it would be real early before, like, the sun came up, and we'd be finishing, like, our, they had this fish sauce that they put on everything. It was their ketchup, like this gross fish sauce. Anyway, we would all be smelling like that, and I would say, hey, how many of you read the Iliad? Every hand's up, or heard the Iliad. Most of you couldn't read Every hand's up. Oh, yeah, the Iliad. We know it. We, we think about it. There's a story of, of the battle, the epic battle of the Trojans 
uh, versus the Achaeans, right? And the driving plotline of the most popular book in all of antiquity, it was like the Bible for the non-believing uh, polytheists in, the, in that world. The driving plotline was two dudes, Agamemnon and Achilles, who got into a feud over a woman. Not even a woman they liked, a woman who was kind of a trophy wife that one took from the other. And the whole plot of that entire wildly popular book was just two dudes duking it out over honor, arete, or the Greek term, or the Latin term virtus, or we get our term virtue. Literally, the root of that is man, we're, man, manliness, okay? So I just want you to see these were cultural values that drove folks in the ancient Mediterranean. And um, there were a number of ways in which um, you could attain honor. Go, ahead, go to the next slide. Let's see if it, okay, so this is, this is the course of honors. Um, the only thing I want you to see here is that the goal in life is always move up in status. Every, from the moment, who's our youngest, youngest person? Who's a young, how old are you? Nine years old. If you were living in ancient Rome, all your parents, your dad, your, your, your people in your life would be telling you is you need to distinguish yourself. We're going to help you with whatever we can to publicly distinguish yourself, make yourself great. And uh, who do we think is the oldest person? Anyone, anyone here, the oldest person in here? Who's, who wins the number? Anyone want to vote themselves? <laughs> all right, what do we got? Like, how old, how old do we go? What, 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 90s? Anyone in the 90s? Let's put that, 90s. All right, we would all be looking to whoever you are, we'd be looking to you. This whole room would be looking to you to model for us Roman virtue, Roman manliness, Roman honor. We, we would give deference, and you would be speaking up here, not me. They would definitely not have me up here, okay? So the way that the whole culture is thinking, the men together, they are all striving to move up in status. And that means whatever it takes to honorably negotiate your way to the top of a social setting. I just want you to see, it's not a just arrogant people do that. It's everybody does that. The same way many of you and, many, and me, and we all think financially at times, and we think, how can I maximize my investments? How can I ensure that next decade I'm making a little bit more than I am this decade? How can I be sure I'm safe financially? They would be thinking about that with their honor and their values. Okay, so next slide. There were a number of ways to distinguish yourself in honor. How do you move up? First of all, uh, noble lineage, who your family line is. Um, military service or distinction, being a, like a manly man. Anyone do Brazilian jiu-jitsu in here? Any Brazilian jiu-jitsu? All right, good. Yeah, I just started it because I want to be more of like a, you know, my whole body a weapon. I want to be a manly man. So I started Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, so I have a white belt, one stripe. Pretty exciting. <laughs> but that would be something that you would be trained from a young age. To, define, to physically dominate others, or um, through your speaking skills to dominate others, or through your money and the connections you make with that money, your wealth and patience to dominate others and to gain as much favor as you can, okay? So, um, and then there's one more in there, uh, piety, which is religious, um, sort of being the, being the most important person in a religious festival, really seeking to be front and center. Uh, a couple other slides, keep going. You're going to smell like the Romans when we're done here. So this is like noble lineage. Here's a picture of a Roman elite holding the busts of his family, showing his pedigree. Here's where I'm from. 
Notice I was not introduced by Micah as that James, the speaker today, is the son of Sam, who is the, and he's the grandson of Bill of Dana Point, right? Like, that's not how we think typically. We really don't think like that. We think, what have you accomplished? What have you done? Well, they think, no, it's important where you come from, your bloodline. This is actually Julius Caesar, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Augustus, um, who was adopted by Julius Caesar. His coins, you can go back to that one, actually. His coins uh, say on them, literally, Julius Caesar, the son of the divine Caesar. So Julius Caesar, son of God. That's the coins that would be out and about. You would reach in your pocket, if you had one in your toga, and you would see uh, Julius Caesar, son of God. Right? So he's, he's, he's trying to share where he's coming from. Next slide, this is a little, uh, an important uh, iconography right here. Manly courage. What does it look like to be honorable, dominant? Okay, these are statues that are put up by the top leaders in the Roman world to advertise their uh, honor. I mean, look at this. This is Caligula, uh, no, I'm sorry, Claudius, Nero, and then to the far right, Hadrian. And they all represent defeated provinces, uh, wars they've been a part of. So the bottom one is Britain, or the, the far left, that's Britain. Armenia uh, in the middle, and then this far right, look at this, this is Hadrian standing over a ch- with his foot on a child, saying, I dominated, I put down either a Jewish revolt or a Germanic revolt, we're not sure which it is. But could you imagine if they unveiled, let's say like, for example, uh, Barack Obama's library, right, presidential library is unveiled, and they, there's, a, there's a statue out front, they unveil it, and it's a picture of Barack Obama with his foot on like a child of like ISIS fighters, right? And, and it, what would happen in our culture? We would just be an outcry, like, what are you doing? We don't do that. That's exactly how a good Roman from the top is illustrating this is what a good leader looks like. You dominate. And notice the personifications of those they dominate are feminine, defeated, or childlike. The term that we would use in Greek to describe this would be a term called tapenos, okay, which is what we would translate as humiliated, humiliated, okay? Feminine, slave-like, humiliated. That would be what these images are representing. And then manly, competitive dominance. All right, so now that you have these pictures in your head uh, of a firm sort of context, um, any questions about this, by the way, as we're going, any questions at all? And we're going to get into the, good, the scriptures. We're going to turn to Philippi. I'm a professor, so every time you see a hand up, you're just like, is there a question? Good. Okay, no, no questions, no worries. All right, so let's talk about humility in Philippi, in Roman Philippi. Advance to the next slide and the next one. So here we have um, a Roman veterans colony, and on the right, you're actually going to see a graffiti. This is one of my favorite uh, cultural artifacts from the ancient world. It's probably a 2nd century A.D., graffiti called the Alexamenos inscription. And what does it look like to you? Anyone, anyone have any thoughts? What does that look like to you? It looks like something's been crucified, right? And what's been crucified? Like a, like a horse or a donkey, right? It's actually a donkey, which was like the most shameful animal in the Roman perspective. Um, and it says on here, it shows a picture of someone doing this. It says on here, Alexamenos, and it's misspelled in Greek. It's a second person plural, so Micah could tell you why it's wrong. Second person plural. Alexamenos worships his God. Why do I think this is so important of an artifact? Because it's written or carved into a wall in Rome, in the heart of what was cool, 
making fun of a Christian. Making fun of those of you in here who are followers of Jesus, exactly you. This is what would be so asinine, literally asinine, about your following Jesus. You worship a crucified Jewish deity from the Eastern Mediterranean? Psh, ridiculous. Okay, and I, and I want us just to start with these pictures, recognizing that when Paul writes to Corinth, when Paul writes to Philippi, he is writing not to some backwater city that's out of touch with Roman ways. He's writing to places that eat, sleep, breathe honor, that understand honor. If you were in the military in Rome and you are now a veteran, you are a part of the elite in that city that understands everything about honor and you would die for it. As a matter of fact, you would love to be able to die for honor. That would be the greatest, greatest death would be an honorable death. So this is Roman Philippi, the ruins of it. Next slide. There's the Mediterranean and Click it again, and there is Philippi right there up uh, in Macedonia. Uh, it was the chief city among all of the area, so it's kind of like the uh, like the, you know, Los Angeles downtown of the broader Los Angeles County. And um, I could say, uh, uh, well, I'll say one more thing about Philippi so you get a sense of it and click to the next slide. And then click it one more time. These things show up everywhere. What the heck is that? That is an inscription. Everyone was putting up inscriptions. All of you, if you were in that city, most likely you'd have been put up an, an inscription if you could afford to and if you had the honor to do that. And it's an inscription. This one is actually from a member of the um, uh, 21st Legion called Raypax, which means predator predator. And it's this dude saying, I am, this is so-and-so my name. This is my rank. This is my accomplishments. I am from the Ray Pax Legion. And you would put that up. Just, we would be like, why are you doing that? They were all doing that. So they were very competitive and they were trying to show how you move up in honor. And this is one way of doing that. Okay. So now if you turn to Philippians and if you have a Bible, you could turn there. I also have slides for you. I want you to watch the artistry, the power, and the beauty of how Paul of Tarsus, a Roman citizen himself, someone who understood these games very well, indeed someone who was raised with this Mediterranean melody, although in a Jewish key, it was a Mediterranean melody of honor. Let's see how he deals with this community and the problems they face. So it starts off, listen to this. If you read through all of Paul's letters, he normally writes with a partner or two. And he normally likes the term apostle, apostolos. That's what he starts with, a sort of a, a sent one from God, an apostle. Here, look how he starts it. Paul and Timothy, douloi. Everyone say douloi. Douloi, I mean slaves. Sometimes they say bond servants. No, that's like making it sound nice. Slaves, full on slaves of Christ Jesus. To all the holy ones, the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. In Paul's earliest letters, there's no references to overseers and deacons. You don't have those until the pastoral epistles, like 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Here is the only one. This church had already set up a full leadership hierarchy. Like, that is so Philippi of, of them to do. Like, a full hierarchy is already set up. Overseers, deacons, and he's acknowledging them in their office and saying, me, what am I? I'm just a slave of Christ. Okay, that's interesting. Grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then continue on to the next slide. 
Notice the problem they are facing. This is at the end of, um, or at the beginning of uh, chapter 2. The problem they're facing, and he says this. I'm going to open to it so I can interact along with you. He says, Do, uh, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, If there is any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, being united together, maintaining the same love, exactly the command in 1 Corinthians 16, right? Love. United in spirit, intent on one purpose. Verse 3, do nothing from selfishness, or it says here empty conceit, but it's like vainglory. Dauxa is this term for glory, for honor. Do not do anything out of self-interest or just honor, just plain old scraping for honor. But with humility, at this point, like the record scratch happens. And everyone's like, what is he talking about? Tapeno frosune, humility. Humility, that's the thing that you saw Hadrian standing over. That's the thing you saw Claudius dominating. That's humility. What are you talking about, Paul? At this point, many of you have lost your breakfast if you're in the Roman colony. Like, I'm done with this. I'm out of here. I'm going to grab a cup of coffee and leave. This is ridiculous. In humility? We think of it post-Christian, 21st century West. Every politician says, I humbly accept my party's nomination. We all love humility. It's part of our discussion about leadership. Not so in the context of these hearers. In humility, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Stop. Now we go full-on Pauline or Paul's style of teaching. Do you think he's going to leave it there? Something that radical? Something that crazy and just walk out, drop the microphone, say, I'm out. Be humble. See you guys later. What does he do? He rolls out an example to follow. Something this radical is going to take a radical example. Someone that everyone in the room would look to and say, okay, I respect this person. I see how they roll. I, I get it. So next slide. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he existed in the form of God, this term morphe, what I want to point out to you in this paragraph we're reading here, um, what Paul seems to be talking about with morphe and, and this whole list of what Jesus is about to do, he's ta- it's not less than ontology, meaning it's not, he's not saying Jesus, Jesus is, uh, he's not God, he's just in the rank of God. No, I think he, he believes Jesus is God. But he's trying to point out, let's do this on a scale of honor. Jesus was at the rank of God, y'all, right? Like he is straight up at the tippy top of the, if you think emperors are important, emperors are like here. He, the gods, the deities, they're like in this, on the ceiling. They're so high above the rest of the hierarchy of the Roman Empire. Here, Jesus is right at the top. So we're talking about a very honorable person to everyone listening. All right, he says, Although he exists in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
better translation probably for harpagmon would be, um, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be exploited for his own enjoyment. He didn't want to sit down in the honor day spa of being God and say, I'm just going to let everyone come and I'm just going to get my, you know, get my nails done and relax and enjoy being so powerful and so all potent. Instead, what does he do? Something absolutely crazy and backwards. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave. So that's like you went from the top of the social hierarchy to the ground floor of it. As fast as you could snap, he's down as a slave. And being made in likeness of men, being found in the parents as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Go to the next slide, if you would. If I told you you're going to be crucified, what about that prospect would you most fear? Discuss that. I'll give you one minute around the table. If I, I literally go, like, look under your chair. There's a star. Oh, yeah, you got the star. Cool. We're going to crucify you. And, like, all of a sudden, Micah, like, dons a black robe. And, like, everyone circles around you. go, oh, no, it's really going to happen. I knew I shouldn't have come to this men's breakfast. Those Christians are always doing weird things. If I told you you were going to be crucified and you really believed it was happening, what are you most concerned about? Discuss. That's a fun morning discussion. All right, 30 seconds, 30 seconds. All right, 10 seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, what are some of, the, uh, some of the responses that you heard? What are people worried about? Pain. The pain. Okay, I'm right there with you. I'm like, the pain, yeah. Ooh, not seeing your friends or family. Yeah, so these intimate relationships, these close relationships with people that you're going to lose. Yeah, the pain, those relationships, yeah. Being judged. Ooh, yeah. Someone said, what did you say? Shame. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think the order of responses that we have heard today would probably represent most of us and the way we would think. The order of it, first of all, oh man, that's going to hurt. That's going to be terrible. In the moment, I'm panicking. This is going to be terrible. And then I'm thinking, oh no, I'm gonna, my closest relationships, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to see my kids again, my wife. I'm going to die at a men's breakfast being crucified. What has happened, Lord? It won't happen, I promise. And then you're thinking about, I'm being judged, I'm being shamed. The order would be the exact opposite for the Romans. I want to show you some pictures of people. These are not real pictures. These are actually ancient artifacts. So go ahead to the next ancient artifact. This is a floor mosaic from North Africa. This depicts folks that are, being, that are called um, the Noxii or the Damnatii. Those are the ones being, to be killed publicly, which is what crucifixion is. Here they're being fed to animals. Look, look at this real quickly. See what you notice. Okay, next slide. This is an individual being, this is actually on a lamp. There's like a, this is literally something you would buy at the store. Oh, that's cute. 
bring it home. Not, not even a morbid thing. It's like part of the games, part of the spectacles that Philippi would have, that Corinth would have. You would see these things take place. A, a criminal being killed by a lion. So take a look. What do you see? Next one. Here are individuals being led out to the arena to be killed by animals. Next slide. There's an individual on a animal being killed by a different kind of animal. That's how Romans, they were like throwing ants in a jar to make them fight. That's kind of how they thought about everything in life. Next slide. And this is, of course, the Alex Menos inscription or a graffiti. And notice the individual here. Next slide. Uh, this is the first depiction of Jesus crucified that we have. Third century, first ever picture we have. The earliest one we have. And notice what's fascinating. What is Jesus wearing? Nothing. Next slide. This is Cicero again. To consign a Roman citizen to chains is a wicked deed. Now, in Roman citizenship, that's a status. To flog him is a crime. To kill him is practically parricide. But what can I say about crucifying him? No word is sufficient to describe such a vile act. Such a vile act. What I want you to notice, and then you can go back into the text. Next slide. What I want you to notice is when Paul's audience first hears that he died, they're thinking a deity dying, first becoming a human, a slave dying. That's ridiculous. Even death on a cross. Now that just hurts. That is ground floor. That You fell through the ground floor. You're in the cellar of shame at this point. Dying on a cross. Dying on a cross. And then it continues, beautifully continues. For this reason, God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. Those that are in heaven, earth, under the earth, living, dead, everyone will bow and declare. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this is the paradigm. Paul doesn't get rid of honor. He doesn't say, honor, stop pursuing honor. It's ridiculous. What does Paul do? Paul gives them a radically alternate way of leading. A radically alternate way of pursuing what God's values are. And that is, you empty yourself and you serve others. And God looks at that and goes, that's honorable. And does Paul even leave it there? No. Then he gives several examples. For example, I'll just, I'll just give you just Timothy and Epaphroditus. And then we could um, take some questions if we'd like. But second Tim, uh, this is, this is uh, right after he gives Jesus his example. Go ahead and click forward. He says this to the church. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Verse 20. For I have no one else of a kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Like that is so amazing. When you're doing a search for a, 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 a pastor or a staff member maybe at, at this church and you're in interview process, right? Like I, I know I've been in several interview processes and I've been part of hiring committees and I'm looking for certain things. Can they speak? Can they communicate? How's their leadership? Are they, are they good thinkers? Are they good collaborators? And what I love is what Paul puts at the tippy top of priorities. He goes, I don't have, I don't have anyone like this guy. There is just no one that is just as, a, as totally Christ-like as this individual. Why? Because he, he genuinely cares for other people. He thinks when he wakes up in the morning, 
How am I going to love and serve other people? How am I going to care? How am I going to be like Jesus and say, yeah, my pride could come up. Yeah, I can make it about me this morning. But how do I make it about serving others? There's just so many beautiful pictures of this. I'm sure in this room there's been so many beautiful pictures of individuals that might be you know, CEOs or, or high-profile individuals in a sport or a club that are just serving junior high ministry or stacking up some chairs or are ready to talk to anyone if there's need. Like that's the picture of what Paul says. No, 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 that, that's what I love. And in Christian culture, like I'm just talking as Christians, those of you that are kind of, you got invited here, you're looking over the fence at this Christianity thing. Um, you can listen in for a second on this, but I just want to say as Christians, like we, we love celebrity culture. We totally do that, right? Even as Christians sometimes, we have like particular pastors or people we'll put on a pedestal and be like, yeah, that's the person. That's the one I love. This is what it's about. And what I love what Paul does is he goes, it's, it's never about that. It, it can never be about that if we're following Jesus because the direction we follow Jesus is down the ladder of honor to service, to meeting needs, to caring, to loving, to saying, how can I serve this morning? How can I serve my wife, my family? How can I serve my neighborhood? How can I serve in this community we call the church? How can I care and serve for that person that drives me nuts at the office or that neighbor that hit my car backing out today? Hopefully they're going to serve me with mercy. How can I serve? Like, these are the questions. And I have a couple more examples. I, I'm not going to necessarily, I won't necessarily give um, uh, just for the sake of giving a little space for maybe questions or reflection. But um, he gives Epaphroditus, someone who almost died in the service of the Philippians. And Paul goes, that's one of my leaders. They, they almost gave their life for you. And then Paul gives his own, his own status in the next chapter saying, who was I? Oh, I have all kinds of good things going on. I mean, I have plenty of reasons to be proud, confidence in the flesh, tons of honor. I was circumcised on the eighth day, nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrew, as to the law, I was a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecuted the church, as to righteousness, according to the law, I was blameless. He stacks up his CV, his resume. He shows his profile, like, look, I was way up there. But you know something? When I found Christ, I considered all that stuff. Skip to that next slide. All that stuff, scubala. It's one of my favorite Greek words. Everyone say scubala. That, that's a latrine. That's a, actually from Philippi, a Roman latrine. Literally, scubala means feces, dung. All that honor, all that great stuff, all those things I was taught as a young boy, pursue honor. I consider all that as scubala compared to knowing Christ. Because when I found Christ, I have found the truth. I found something so much bigger and more real. I found ultimate purpose, and it's not about me. It's about him, and it's about loving those who are unlovable. It's about caring for those on the margins, those who can give me nothing back. The nerdy kids at school, if you're in junior high. The kind of fumbling screw-ups at work. The people that we can write off so quickly, that is what captured the hearts of those following Jesus, is how can we serve these folks? So as we close off um, and uh, come, come back to our passage in Corinthians, and he offers Stephanus, Achaicus, Fortunatus, he offers a few leaders that are in that community, and he says, don't take my word for it. Don't just listen to me tell you about love, tell you about completely giving yourself over to serving like Jesus. I want you to see the people around you. And I know for a fact, 
that there are some amazing giants in faith in this room. There are, there are some legends, and Micah could probably sit and point them all out for me and say, yeah, it's that kind of person. And that's what I want to say. What is honorable leadership? We could talk all day long about it. We can know every Bible verse in the world. We could be super theologically accurate. But it's when our lives are followable. It's when our lives reflect that. That is when I think we are in the tradition of Christ. And as you can see, it's going to go against the grain as it did in Roman Philippi. It probably might even in your own heart and your own um, neighborhood. But that is the most beautiful place to be. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and then um, I'll bring Micah back up. Yeah. Lord, thanks so much for this opportunity to um, reflect again on the radical riches of your instructions on leadership and the radical example that you gave Lord Jesus coming downstairs, going to the bottom of the social strata, giving yourself so selflessly that I might be able to have new mercy and new grace every morning. We, we thank you. I thank you for the leaders that are following closely after you in this endeavor. Here, South Shores, all throughout Los Angeles, Orange County, and this beautiful um, world. We love you in the name of Jesus. Amen.